Let's pray together. Lord, you are indeed powerful beyond our imagination. You have all power in your hand. You are the creator of power, and you are the sustainer of power, and you are omnipotent. And so we trust you, and we thank you that you've promised your power to keep us, promised your power to guard us, that no power of hell and no scheme of man could ever pluck us from your powerful hand. And so, Lord, help us to submit to you, submit to your word this morning as we study it. Lord, I pray that you would do more than just convince our minds, but you would enliven our souls. You would help us to feel the weight of the beauty and power of your promises, and that you would help us to believe this promise in John 6 for the rest of our lives and for the rest of eternity. We long for you to come, Lord Jesus, come. We thank you that you've promised to keep us until that day. That you will raise us up on that last day. Help us to live in freedom because of this promise and help us to live in victory and rejoicing because of what you've said you will do for your people. Bless your people. Sanctify us in the truth. Your word is truth. Where else would we go, Lord? You have the words of life. So we come to you. Speak to us those words of life. We pray you do that in Jesus' great name. Amen. Amen. Well, grab a Bible and turn with me to the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John, chapter 6. John 6 is absolutely full of fantastic and precious truth about and from our Savior. 71 verses of soul-satisfying food for our hungry souls. Whenever you find yourself a little bored and don't have anything else to do, and you're tempted to just scroll through Netflix or mindlessly look through social media, pick up your Bible and turn to John chapter 6. In John chapter 6, Jesus feeds the 5,000 and declares himself to be the nourishing bread of life. Jesus walks on water. Jesus rebukes the unbelieving crowd who were just merely looking for more miracles. Jesus tells the people that no one can come to him unless the Father draws them. Jesus compares himself to the manna that God sent in the wilderness. Jesus teaches us to eat his flesh and drink his blood. Jesus teaches his disciples that his words are spirit and they are life itself. And Jesus ends this chapter by pointing out that one of his disciples is a devil. The whole of John 6 is epic. But there is just one verse that I want us to focus on this morning in John 6. John chapter 6, verse 37. And so to get a little more of the context, let's start reading in verse 35. John 6, 35, and we'll read through verse 40. John says, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. 
All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. And this is the will of Him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that He has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life. And I will raise Him up on the last day. Now because we're thinking about the promises of God this summer, just notice quickly all of the promises from Jesus in these few verses. In verse 35, Jesus promises that whoever comes to Him as the bread of life shall not hunger and shall never thirst. In verse 37, the verse we're going to look at in just a minute, Jesus promises that everyone the Father gives to the Son will come to Him. And He promises He will never cast out those who come to Him. In verse 39, Jesus promises that He will lose nothing of all that the Father gives Him and He will raise it up on the last day. And in verse 40, Jesus promises that everyone who believes in Him will have eternal life and Jesus will raise us up on the last day. Indeed, God's promises cannot fail. They are precious and very great and they are yes and amen in Jesus. Now, I want to focus on the two promises in verse 37. Particularly, I want to focus on the second one in verse 37 where Jesus promises to never cast out those who come to Him. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. One of my heroes, John Bunyan, wrote an entire book on this promise called Come and Welcome to Jesus Christ. There are actually a few free copies of this book on the welcome table for anyone who wants to do a deep dive into John 6:30 and John 6:37. But as I read through several years ago Bunyan's exposition of this promise of eternal security for the believer, one phrase of Bunyan jumped off the page at me. Bunyan calls this second promise in John 6:37, he calls it the sum of all promises. Now, when I first saw Bunyan say that, I thought to myself, surely that's an overstatement. Like, surely that's just, that's just trying to emphasize it. I mean, there are a lot of great promises in Scripture. But as I've contemplated, I think what Bunyan meant is that every other promise from God is true and precious because God is faithful to this promise. Like, if Jesus kept every other promise He made, but did not keep this one, all the other ones would be meaningless. Like, what good is the promise to supply every need we have if at the end we're cast out of Jesus' presence? 
What good is the promise that he will work all things together for our good if on the last day Jesus turns his back on us? And so all the other good things Jesus promised are wrapped up in this promise to welcome and keep us forever. This is what makes this the sum of all promises. And what I want to do is more than just explain and defend this promise today, I want to help us feel it in our souls. This is a promise for us to believe and stand in for the rest of our lives, indeed, for the rest of eternity. This is a promise that should be precious and dear to every true believer. So let's unpack what Jesus says by looking at these two promises and We'll, we'll unpack the first one, but the first one, I believe, is there just to help us feel the second one. And so we're going to look at these two promises in John 6, 37. The first one is that all the Father gives will come to Jesus. Jesus says, all will. The second one is that all who come to Jesus will never be cast out. So all will not. Jesus says, all will come to Him whom the Father gives But those who come to Him will not be cast out. And so Jesus is talking about what the Father does and what the Son does. The Father gives and the Son secures. Notice our role in this promise. Our role is to come to Jesus. All whom the Father gives will come to Me, and whoever comes to Me, I will never cast out. The Father gives, the people come. The people come and Jesus secures the people. And so let's look at both of these promises in turn. The first one, Jesus says, all that the Father gives will come to Me. All that the Father gives will come to Jesus. This is an astonishing promise at the beginning of verse 37. All that the Father gives Me will certainly, without a doubt, come to me. And so Jesus is speaking about a gift that the Father gives to the Son. What does the eternal Father give to the eternal Son? Well, here the Father gives a gift of people to the Son. The Father gives people to the Son as a gift. Do you see this? The Father has a people. And the Father gives these people to the Son as a gift. And Jesus says that all of those people whom the Father gives will certainly come to Him. So when we look at this promise, we have to immediately rule out the possibility that the Father is here giving every single person to the Son. You see that? This can't be... Every single person given from the Father to Jesus as part of this gift. Why? Because it says everyone whom the Father gives will come. And we know everyone does not come to Jesus for salvation. We don't believe in universalism. Universalism is the heresy that says everyone will eventually be saved. The Bible condemns that teaching. And so not everyone is given by the Father to the Son because not everyone comes to the Son. But all of those given by the Father to the Son will come to the Son for salvation. Now, I'm sure that the people hearing Jesus say this were curious and questioning this teaching. And so notice Jesus further clarifies what He's saying down in verse 44. 
In verse 44, Jesus says, No one can come to Me unless the Father who sent Me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Now remember verse 35. Jesus describes saving faith as coming to Him. I'm the bread of life. Anyone comes to Me, He'll never hunger. Anyone believes in Me, He'll never thirst. So Jesus describes saving faith as coming to Him to be satisfied by Him. So we have to come to Jesus. Coming to Jesus is essential to salvation. And in verse 44, Jesus describes what must happen for a sinner to come to Him. What must happen for a sinner to come to Jesus? Jesus says in verse 44, we must be drawn by the Father. Jesus says, no one can come to me unless the Father draws him. Verse 37, the one we're looking at says, no one can come to the Son unless they are given by the Father. So in these few verses, Jesus is clearly teaching that our salvation is entirely dependent on the drawing and giving of the Father. We do not save ourselves in any way, shape, or form. We cannot come to Jesus on our own. Jesus is incredibly clear here. And yet for many of us, this is a very difficult teaching to grasp. In fact, I remember the first time that I took these words seriously. It felt like my whole world was turned upside down. I was offended by this teaching when I first encountered it. I wanted so badly to take some credit for my coming to Jesus. Surely I did something. However, Jesus says, and the rest of the Bible confirms, that I did not come to Jesus on my own. I was sovereignly drawn by the Father. I was given by the Father to Jesus. That's why I came to Jesus for salvation. And that's what has happened to every single true Christian. That is what has happened because no one can come to the Father. No one can come to Jesus unless the Father draws Him. No one can come to the Son unless given by the Father. All that the Father gives will certainly come. And so friends, have you come to Jesus? Have you come to Jesus? If so, rejoice in that, that it wasn't because of anything in you. Come to Jesus, but when you come, you realize it was nothing you did or said or accomplished. It was all by the drawing and giving of the Father. Friends, notice the confidence of the Savior in verse 37. Jesus' confidence is not in His people's ability or or willingness to come to Him. Jesus doesn't say, look look at these people who are so wise coming to Me. They're making good decisions. No, his confidence is not in people. The Savior's confidence is in His Father. Everyone whom the Father gives will come to Me. Not might come. Not are invited to come if they want to come. No, all the Father gives Me will certainly come to Me. Jesus knows that all whom the Father gives will be effectually, irresistibly brought to Him. There's no doubt about that in Jesus' mind. All whom the Father gives will come. And we could spend a lot more time unpacking and explaining and defending that, but I want to get to the second promise in verse 37. The first promise that all who are given by the Father will come to Jesus sets up this breathtaking promise of eternal security at the end of verse 37. And so secondly, Jesus says, all who come to me will never be cast out. All who come to Jesus will never be cast out. Look at verse 37 again. 
All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. The Savior says, what will the Savior do with the gift the Father gives? What will the Savior do when the Father gives him this gift of these people? He says, I will receive them. I will protect them. I will secure those who come to me. The Father gives people as a gift to the Son, and the Son welcomes those people and guards them with all of His might. A sweeter promise does not exist. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. This is actually a very strong figure of speech that Jesus uses here in saying, I will never cast out. He is saying, I will certainly not ever cast out. It's a double negative that Jesus uses for emphasis and forcefulness. He's literally saying, I will never, no, never cast out. Jesus is saying, I will certainly keep and secure and protect those who come to me. Jesus says, If the Father gives you to me, if you come to me, I will never abandon you. I will never depart from you. I will never desert you. I will never evict you. I will never forsake you. I will never kick you out. I will never divorce you. I will never leave you. I will never quit on you. I will never relinquish hold on you. I will never renounce you. I will never retire from you. I will never vacate you. I will never withdraw from you ever. I will keep you to the end. I will hold fast to you. I will remain faithful to you. I will defend you. I will guard you. I will protect you. I will uphold you. If you come to me, Jesus says, I will never cast you out. I will never cast you out. The Savior's heart will never stop welcoming you and guarding you if you are His. Unlike we do, The Savior doesn't get so annoyed with us that He just finally is done with us and kicks us out. Every human relationship has a limit. Everyone does. Where if someone is offended enough, they will put up the walls and they will be done with us. But not Jesus. Not Jesus. If we are His, He will never grow weary of us. He will never stiff arm us. He will never kick us out. This is one of the key promises in the Bible's teaching on the perseverance of the saints. The doctrine that says no true Christian will ever lose their salvation. The emphasis of this doctrine is not on the fact that we have the strength in and of ourselves to keep ourselves Christians. The emphasis is on the power of God and the promises of God to keep us trusting Him. Listen, you need to hear this loud and clear. We are not saved. We are not saved because of our hold on Jesus, but because of His hold on us. If it was up to you, you would never come to Jesus. And if it was up to you, you would abandon and walk away from Jesus, and so would I but it's not up to us. He draws us and He keeps us. He gives us and He secures us. Listen, it's not the strength of your faith that keeps you a believer. It's the strength of our Savior that keeps us trusting Him. 
We see this truth all through the Bible. Oh, I wish we had more time here, but let me just mention a few places. 1 Peter 1, 5 says that our salvation is being guarded. Our salvation is being guarded. Philippians 1, 6 says, if God started the good work of salvation in us, He will complete the work. Romans 8 says, nothing in all creation can separate us from God's love. Jude 24 says that Jesus is able to keep us from stumbling and to present us blameless in the presence of God. In fact, let me show you one more in John 10. Turn over a few pages to John 10. Last week we were all over the place. This week I sort of was committed to camping in this one verse, but just one place else to look at to confirm this. John 10, let's start reading in verse 27. Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Notice Jesus says they will never perish. Never. This is actually another very strong negative in the original language. It's as if Jesus is saying they will certainly not perish forever. And then Jesus, notice, says no one can snatch them out of my hand. Jesus is this powerful that no one can remove us from Jesus' hand. And just in case verse 28 is not clear enough, Jesus adds in verse 29, and no one can snatch them from the Father's hand. In other words, Jesus says we're doubly secure in the hand of Jesus, which is in the hand of the Father. Our eternal life, is as secure as God is all-powerful. No one can snatch us. Jesus says, if you are mine, you will never perish. That is, I will never cast you out. You will never perish. See, a true Christian is protected by Jesus, secured by Jesus, sheltered by Jesus, fortified by Jesus, and kept safe by Jesus. Now, someone may object here. And say, how do we know Jesus will not cast us out? Like, how do we know he'll do this? I mean, what if Jesus changes his mind on this? What if, he gets, what if we get so rebellious, he gets so sick of us, that he just throws us aside? Well, I would answer that by pointing you to the next few verses in John 6. Look at verses 38 and 39 and 40, really. Jesus says, for, so here's the ground, I will never cast you out. Why? For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. And this is the will of Him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that He has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will, I will, Raise him up on the last day. So how sure is the promise of verse 37? How sure is this promise? Well, the promise is as secure as Jesus' passion to obey his Father. And nothing is as sure 
in all of eternity as that. When Jesus begins to be indifferent to the will of the Father, then we have a cause to be concerned. And so this promise is not based on what we do or don't do. This promise is not based on how grumpy we are. This promise is based on Jesus' passion to obey His Father, to accomplish the will that He was sent to accomplish. Friends, this one verse, John 6, 37, is enough to silence all of those who teach that a true Christian can lose their salvation. Hence, to teach that is to teach a false doctrine that the Bible does not teach. That is to teach that Christ doesn't have the power or desire to accomplish the will of the Father. Like to say that a true Christian can lose their salvation is to say that Jesus is indifferent to whether he accomplishes God's will or not. And that's blasphemous. Our assurance comes not from our hold on Christ, but from Christ's hold on us. All that the Father gives to the Son will certainly come, Jesus says. And all who come will certainly be kept secure. This is more certain than anything in all the universe. If you belong to Jesus, if you have come to Him by the drawing of the Father, He will raise you up on the last day. And so by God's grace, come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Find in Him your satisfaction and your joy. He is the greatest treasure of all. The Father draws and the Son secures. The Father gives and the Son protects. This is a massive truth that I want you to believe and know and enjoy for all eternity. And so just a couple words of application before we, before we leave. How should we apply this promise to our lives? Three thoughts. Number one, feel secure in Jesus. Feel secure in Jesus. Now, on one level, I want to say, who cares how you feel? This is real. Who cares how you feel? This is real, right? If, it doesn't really matter if you feel secure. If you're in Jesus, you are secure. Just believe it. But I think that would sell this promise short because I don't want you just to agree that you're secure with your head. I want you to feel secure in your heart. Sure, feelings are deceptive, but feelings can be sanctified and used of God. And so, feel secure. I take Jesus to be saying He wants us to feel secure in Him. Why did He say this if He didn't want us to feel that this is true? Your security doesn't rest on you. Your security rests on Jesus. And so look to Jesus and allow yourself to totally feel secure and guarded and protected by a strong Savior. I know the temptation to doubt salvation and to doubt, not have assurance and to constantly be questioning is part of human life, is part of human nature. But I take Jesus to say this so strongly for you. I say this, I think Jesus is saying this so strongly so that He'll overcome all of your, your questions and your doubts and, and your wonderings. Do, do you not feel secure when Jesus says you are secure? Nothing can separate you from His love. Nothing can remove you from His hand. You are as secure, Jesus says, as I am passionate about my Father's will. I will never cast you out. 
Feel it in your soul. Now, one warning here, one massive warning. The Bible warns over and over again that it is possible for someone to think they're a Christian and really not be. It's possible for someone to truly believe they are saved and not be. The book of Hebrews contains this warning over and over again. There are people who are very close to the things of God. People who gather with the saints of God. People who grow up in Christian homes who assume they are Christians and are really not. And so make sure the foundation of your assurance is that you have come to Jesus by the drawing of the Father. And in that, feel secure. Believe it and feel it. Secondly, Allow your security to propel you to do great things for God. Allow your security, allow this promise to free you up to do great things for God. Take big risks for your God because He promises great things. And so one of the traditional arguments against the perseverance of the saints is that it will cause people to just be in sin and not care about living in holiness because they're secure. So, right, why, why obey when it doesn't matter? I'm already secure in Jesus. Remember what Paul said to that kind of thinking? He said, by no means. In fact, I would add, if you find yourself thinking, well, I'm eternally secure in Jesus. That means I can do whatever I want in my life. If you find yourself thinking that, you're probably not a Christian. Probably not. We must persevere to the end. This promise should create holiness and a desire to obey and continue on in our sanctification. God will preserve us in trusting Him, desiring to please Him if we are His. And instead of this giving us license to sin, this doctrine, I think, frees us to be radically obedient. Right? We no longer have to worry about being abandoned by Jesus. We don't have to waste our energy wondering whether Jesus has gotten tired of us yet and that He's just done with us. He said He will never be done with those who come to Him. And so let this truth free you to live a life radically abandoned to King Jesus. And then third and finally, rejoice hard in this promise. Rejoice hard in this promise. Let me invite you to make the power of Jesus and the faithfulness of Jesus to His promises one big, massive reason to praise Him day in and day out. Every day, thank Him for keeping you. Thank Him for guarding you, for not casting you out. I think eternity will be an endless praise to God that we aren't cast out, that we have been welcomed and secured by Jesus. And so start that rejoicing in your life now and rejoice hard in this. This last song we're about to sing after I pray for us helps me in this way. I love songs like He Will Hold Me Fast. When I fear my faith will fail, Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, He will hold me fast. I could never keep my hold through life's fearful path, for my love is often cold. He must hold me fast. I love the realism of this song. Eternal security is not, oh, we're always just happy in Jesus. Everything is always going well. No, sometimes our love is cold. Sometimes we fear our faith will fail. But it doesn't. Why? 
Because He will hold me fast. He'll not let my soul be lost. His promises shall last. Bought by Him at such a cost. He will hold me fast. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank You for Your promises. Forgive us for doubting and not believing them. Help us to believe hard, to feel hard, and to rejoice hard in these great truths. Father, we thank you for giving us to the Son as a gift. Lord Jesus, we thank you for receiving that gift from the Father and for securing that gift, securing us. Holy Spirit, thank you for your work and your agreement with this work and your application of this work to our lives. Would you help us, please, to feel this deep in our soul? Would you help us to free us to live radically obedient lives for your glory? And Lord, would you help us to rejoice hard in this, even now as we sing this promise and rejoice in it? Thank you. We rejoice and we pray in your great name, Lord Jesus. Amen. And let's stand together.